you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Network on iHeartRadio. Before we begin, I want to give a big thank you to my team, the team that makes this show happen every week. Thank you, Grace and Cole for graphics, Pepper Chambers, the hot one for writing, Angelo Gretko and Anna Mesa for social media, Tiffany Hale for everything. Erica Eklund for Patreon support and production by the folks at Large Media. That's L-A-R-J Media. Also, I want to tell you about the special Hello Somebody family over on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com forward slash hello somebody, you can become a member and join us over there for special video content, ask me anything experiences, and all kinds of surprises. All the proceeds go to making this production happen every week, and we would love your support. So come on and join and become a Patreon family member. just amazing. I mean, hello somebody. I I don't know what to say. Every single week we have such incredible guests and we are learning so much. And so I am beyond delighted, like almost jumping out of my skin happy hello somebody to be with someone who I admire so very much, who I hold in high regard, and someone who we have built a relationship with one another, I know is well past 10 years right now. Uh, she is an incredible force of nature, and her name is Jennifer Farmer. She is known as the PR whisperer. She's an author, a lecturer, baby, and she has a podcast called The First and Only, which we are going to talk about her new book that's coming out titled The First and Only. And it really is about black women. It is a love letter to black women 
And that love letter is very much needed in today's climate and it is needed every single generation. And Jennifer Farmer, we have with us my special advisor, J3 himself. So just in case if he wants to, he might have a few things to say as we talk today. How are you? I am doing well, and I'm so happy to uh, to be with you for your podcast, Hello Somebody. I'm so glad to have you. You have been with me through many moments, highs and lows. So this is certainly a great moment for us to share with folks how we first met, how our incredible paths crossed, and how we have been lifting and edifying one another ever since. And that magical moment happened in the Ohio Senate, where I was serving as a state senator, and you were the deputy chief of staff. That's right. Deputy chief of staff. I have campaign manager in my mind because you've done so much. You were the deputy. Well, you that pretty much was like managing. You had to manage us, though. You had to manage the senators. But <laughs> deputy chief of staff for the Ohio Senate caucus, and we have been going strong together ever since. How was that experience, and how did that experience set you on the path to what you are doing right now? So at that time, I believe this was 2001, so that was more uh, than 19 years ago, and yeah. it remains. So we've known each other actually for 19 years. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, you have done it all. I mean, how in the <laughs> world have you been able to do all of those things? And you are a mother as well. I remember your baby boy who's not such a baby anymore. He's 21 now. <laughs> oh my God, when we met, I remember he had such a love for art. And yes. and and we, we did some things together to enrich him on the art side. I'm sure he doesn't remember that, but I'm just smiling from ear to ear thinking about <laughs> he, he was just a little boy and now he's a grown young man. They'll always be our babies. But you're you know what, you're absolutely right. And this just reminds me. So I think I had a lapse earlier because I've worked in the Senate twice. When I first worked in the Senate, it was 2001. And I don't believe you were in the Senate at that time. I came in 2008. Yes, exactly. Yes. And the second time when I came back as the Deputy Chief of Staff, that was 2009. So yes. you were right. We've known each other for about 11 years. Uh, yes. It took us from 11 to 19, but, you know, it's, it's all good. All good. That's okay. I received it because... The way we work, it, it seems like we've been together for a lifetime. So I received those nineteen. I received those nineteen years. <laughs> and and so and you you just had a plethora of experiences and I with each and every opportunity that has been presented to you, you've been able to build on those experiences so much so that you put out your own shingle. I know that's what attorneys say, but you started your own PR firm. Spotlight PR. PR. Yeah. You, you wrote a book about PR on on a, on a budget because it's so hard for small businesses and individuals who don't necessarily have a lot of money to be able to afford a PR specialist like yourself. And so again, you were thinking about the common woman and man, and even created a powerful guide for how folks can and should have a strong PR person. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think that the only thing that we're responsible for is, is what we can do and the gifts and talents that each of us have. And I've decided that I'm going to live full and that I'm going to give back 
what God has given to me. And so when I die, there will be no unused talent. You know, God will not look at me and say, well, Jennifer, I gave you this and you didn't use it. He will say, you have squeezed the life out of everything that I've given you, you know, and from that lens, uh, you know, be, be proud and, and happy. I do believe that your life is, you, you personify the ability to do well and to do good at the same time. You can do well and you can do good at the same time. It does not have to be a trade-off particularly when you lean into the gifts that come to you so easily. So for instance, with you, you are a phenomenal speaker. Uh, you, you can take a complex issue and not only make it understandable to the masses, but to get people fired up, that's a gift. And if we lean into the gifts that we have, then you definitely can do well and do good at the same time. And I and that that to me is an obligation for people to do that to find their purpose, and to just just saturate in that thing, and, and try not to get caught up in what other people are doing and how fabulous it may seem their lives are, and focus on what the Creator, as we we're believers, and I know some people don't necessarily believe in that way, but what the Creator, the universe, what forces are calling you to do to do good, to do great things. And once you find that, you know, there, there is a way to, to, make, to make a living from doing good. One of the best pieces of advice that I've ever received, it came from uh, the dean of my college. He's now passed away, uh, Dean Paul Burgett. And yeah. I remember I was a sophomore or a junior in college, and I was really stressing about how I was going to make money. I don't know why I was worried about this, but I was stressing. And Dean Burgett said, don't worry about the money. Do what you love and the money will come. And whenever I got to a point in my career where I was worried or where, you know, I was going to entertain worry, I would think about what he said is do what you love and the money will come. And that has been so true for me professionally. Yes, and I can certainly relate to that as you as you well know too. So I, I'm sure a lot of people can definitely relate to that. Do pr- practicing your gifts and just know that it's coming, that reward, so to speak, is coming. And it's okay to live a good life. I think so many, especially Jennifer, working class people and poor people, they're struggling every single day. And you get to a point sometimes where you don't feel like you are deserving. And moments in your life where you don't believe that you are worthy of actually living a good life. I think that when you come from a community and when you've seen other people struggle, or perhaps when you've struggled, you can question whether or not that is your life experience or whether that is supposed to be your life experience. And when you get to the point where, you know, you start having a level of success that can change your day-to-day, it can be tempting. You know, you, you could feel guilty. But what I say and what I pray is, you know, God bless me to be a blessing to others, to be a blessing uh-huh. to myself and my family, but to be a blessing to others. I want to be the person who can give. I want to be the person who sees something that is worth investing in and have the means and the capacity to do so. Hello, somebody and, on that. Yeah. And, you know, and the great thing is, is, a lot of times we think that we have to start, we have to wait until we get exactly, well, everything is exactly perfect. And that is not true. 
I think you start from where you are and you do what you can with where you have. And in time, it may grow. But even if it never does, there's always something that you can do from where you are. That's it. I totally agree. I say that all the time. Do what you can where you are or what you have. With what you have. Yeah. We all we all have a level. We all have something that we can do no matter what level we may be on and no matter what we may be dealing with in our day-to-day lives. We can all do something. So I oh my god, I live by that as well. We pray that a similar the same prayer, not just similar, the same prayer, Jennifer Farmer. We do. <laughs> Oh my God, I want people to absorb this because it is such a heavy time right now, as you and I know, from the COVID pandemic that has engulfed not only our country, but the entire world. We are approaching 50 million people unemployed as we speak, which is so unbelievable, sad, heavy. And we know that a lot of those folks will not have health insurance because their health insurance is tied to their employment, which begs the question, why do we continue to do things in that way? And so that's the pandemic. And then right there in the swirl of the pandemic, we have civil unrest that has been bubbling up for weeks in the United States of America has taken hold. This entire movement has taken hold internationally as well, coming off of uh, being being sparked by the murder of George Floyd. But we also know there are other names that are within that moment that has caused people to say, particularly the African-American community, in the words of our dear Fannie Lou Hamer, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Being sick and tired. Yes. Yeah. And, and you work a lot in that space, Jennifer, from working uh, with or working for the advancement project to even in your own firm you do a lot of training about racial bias and particularly implicit bias and anti-blackness share with us because you are an expert in that issue and I feel like we are at a synergistic moment where more people they're open to having some of the harder conversations that this country has not been willing to have. And then on a micro level, just even individuals have not wanted to have, but it's just something about this particular moment where we have an opportunity to go deep. So I want to go deep with you. This is your, not only your, your area of expertise, but it is your passion and how you are able to peel back the layers. I've been in trainings with you. I mean, you did a training for the Sanders campaign as well at, at, at my request, but that's a whole nother story for another time. <laughs> Talk to all of us, speak to us about racism itself, implicit bias, and anti-blackness. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. 
They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. One of the things that I think organizations and people fail at or make mistakes in is they they think because they have noble aspirations, because they proclaim progressive values, that their work is done. And when you talk about race, race has to be addressed on an individual level as well as a collective and a structural level. You can't say, you can't say, well, you know, I I want to be anti-racist and so I'm going to go and work for this organization but not do the work to transform yourself. It doesn't work like that. Any person who was born in the United States, who has lived here, who has spent any length of time, they are impacted by race. And so in anti-racism, it has to be unlearned. When I worked for Advancement Project, probably one of the best aspects of that experience was really grounding in what anti-Blackness is. Mm -hmm. And when I think about the animosity and the hatred that you see towards uh, people of color, it is rooted in that person having an ounce of Blackness. It's rooted in anti-Blackness. So if there were no anti-Blackness, I don't believe that we would have the hostility that many Latin American immigrants face. It's all rooted in anti-Blackness. I also think that you can't just say that you're anti-racist and you can't just do the work. You have to examine the ways that racism has been internalized within yourself. And so there is work for each and every one of us to do. Even Black people can harbor internalized oppression and anti-Blackness. And sometimes we see that show up in colorism. Sometimes we, we see it show up in uh, dating preferences. Sometimes we see it show up in even how we care for our bodies and how we care for the messages that we send to ourselves. Every day, we have to understand that in this country, 
it is inherently racist. And no, black people can't be racist because racism is about power. It's about, you know, structural power. But we do have to understand that, you know, we still have work to do to ensure to erase internalized oppression. And if you wonder how that shows up, our entire system is set up to despise black people from the images that we see to what we're taught from children about what is beautiful and what is not to what is smart and what is not, to who has capacity and who does not, it's rooted in race. And so we all have, we're all on the journey. The question is, are you running? The question is, Mm -hmm. are you continually making paths and strides forward? And in this day and age, there's simply no excuse to say, I don't, you know, I don't know where to start. There's so many wonderful resources and books. Like I love, uh, so you want to talk about race. I love uh, White Fragility. There's so many different books. I love uh, Ibram Kendi's um, How to Be Anti-Racist. There's so many wonderful resources. I also think that the moment that you open your mind and you open your heart and you put out in the universe your commitment to doing better, your commitment to learning, I believe that people show up and and, and and help you along your journey and point to areas where you can be enlightened. And so one of the reasons that I do this work is I think that as a Black person in America, you have to do the work to stay sane. You have to do the work to, uh, to live a happy life. You have to do the work to counter the many messages that you get that you are not good enough, you are not smart enough, you are not beautiful enough, you are not worthy enough. Jennifer, I mean, you're preaching down so many streets right now. I mean, you and I could do at least 10 other shows based on everything you just said. And I am bubbling over right now with emotion. As you know, you and I have had many a conversation, many a tearjerker over over anti-blackness, over microaggressions, over the fact that this society is set up that way, the systemic racism, the system-wide racism that still exists, that exhibits itself all the time and it is all of those microaggressions that build and build and build and build and it's so wonder that black people as a collective um, as a collective have not just totally combusted it, 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 re- it really is i saw a meme the other day and it said something it read something like america is lucky that black people only want justice and not revenge because of all that we have endured and that we continue to endure in this country. And your point about colorism, which is leading me exactly where I want to go, because this love letter that you've written to black women, the first and only, but colorism as you, has been my one of my heavy burdens, you know, being a chocolate chocolate sister and just experiencing those things, you know, being a child of the, you know, I was born in the late 60s and so it was coming of age in, in, in high school in the 80s and I, I remember you know not being able to quote unquote buy a date because I wasn't a light skinned sister and I didn't have good hair and then dark skin came in with Wesley Snipes you know you, yeah. we, got, we got to kind of joke about that a little bit just to continue to function but you are absolutely right I have horror stories I remember Jennifer being in elementary school and one of my light, lighter skinned classmates we were standing in line and we were on our way to a field trip. And I don't know, just out of the blue, she, she took her hand and she rubbed it across my face. And then she rubbed her same hand across her face. And she said something like, 
uh, my skin, meaning her skin, was softer than mine because she was lighter than me. Now, this was an elementary wow. school. And I'm wow. sure her parents didn't sit her down and tell her that, but it was those images, those messages that you that you were talking about that got into her subconscious that she really thought she was better than me. And imagine the life that I had to live every single day, you know, every year, really, and, and just coming to believe that in my my psyche was 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 messed up because over the course of my life I am constantly reminded even to this day that the lighter you are the more beautiful you have seen the closer to white you are the more your beauty is elevated and projected and put out there and that if you don't have those eurocentric attributes somehow you are lacking. And so multiply me by millions of little black girls and black boys, but particularly black girls because of the way the society is set up, who somehow believe that they were less worthy because they are not as close to white. And I say that even as an accomplished black woman, that I still harbor that pain, that kind of pain to this day. Definitely. And, and I want to share one other story with you and, and and I, and I want you to weigh in on what I'm talking about. Just one other quick story. When I was in high school and I tried out for a play and I was really good. And folks might not notice about me, Jim. We're going to reveal some things. <laughs> Sister was good. You know, my drama class, baby, I was good. I could pantomime my behind off. I was just good like that. And so we were having tryouts for a play. I was in the ninth grade. I remembered this like it was yesterday. I was in the ninth grade and the play was Charlie Brown. And so I tried out for the character of Lucy. And I did that. I mean, if I must say so myself, I did that thing. Jennifer, Jen, I gave a performance of a lifetime and I knew, have you ever done something? You just walk off. You you just know you did that. And so... You know, they, they put the, after a while, you know, a couple of days, they'll post on, on the wall who won what parts. And I was devastated. I didn't get the part of Lucy. So I went to my drama teacher and I asked the question, what happened? Because I knew I did that. And he said to me, he said, you know, Nina, you did. You were absolutely the best. But Lucy ain't black. Wow. Jen. Wow. Oh, you talking about being crushed. Lucy ain't black. I'm just going to let you take, go on, go on and take it, take it over from me. So I think that every day that we live has to be an act of resistance. And the, and, and part of what we're resisting is not just the messages that we receive today or the messages that we received yesterday, but the cumulative impact of the messages that we've received our entire lives. I, I recently went to Atlanta and I took my, um, my babysitter who is in her early twenties and she's a dark skin, uh, dark skin sister. And somehow we got on a conversation and I asked her, she's very, very bright. I was asking her about, you know, high school. And she told, she told me something that I will never forget. And she said that it was miserable. And she said it was miserable. And she said, every day of my senior year, I was called a nigger every day. Oh my God. And she said that, um, you know, as a dark skinned girl, she said that it was very clear to her that no one wanted to date her. Uh, she also told me that she, when she finally was invited to the prom, she was really, really excited about it. 
only to have her hope death to find out that someone told the guy, someone made a bet with the guy on to ask her out. It was not sincere. And she told me that it was not until she went to a historically black college that she became, she started to say, okay, well, maybe these messages that I've heard about my skin are not true. And I've heard similar messages from my brother, who's a lot darker. I, I, I remember us growing up and the things that people would say to him. And also in my family, you know, our family ran the rainbow. Uh, we had we have people who are um, very, very fair-skinned, and we have people who are very, very dark. And so all of this, I, I remember. And, you know, the, the only thing that I can say is it's very, very painful. People used to say sticks and stones can break my bones, words can never hurt, and that's just a lie. Because once you've heard these things, you don't, you can't unhear, you know. And so it's, it's, I feel like it's a constant resisting the messages. And then in addition to like resisting the messages that we hear, it's also thinking about, okay, well, how do we see, um, how do we move beyond it and not get uh, resentful? And for me, I remember, you know, uh, my son's father, when he decided to, uh, to marry, his wife was very fair, fair, or she is very fair. And I remember thinking, okay, everyone in his family is fair. I was just too dark. And, and that, you know, so we have all these questions and I finally got to the point where I said, you know what, I'm just going to accept who I am. And every day, you know, you watch TV and you see the movies and there's a black family, the father is dark and his wife is is very, very fair. And then their kid, their son is dark and the daughter is fair. I'm like, I was like, what message are you really trying to send us? And so I, I resist that. And, um, and I do it continually. It's not enough to just do it once. You have to do it every time the emotion, every time the pain rises up. Amen to that, Jen. I'm, I'm signed deep, deeply here. You, What you said, every day that we live has to be an act of resistance. Amen to that. And we don't talk enough about colorism. We talk about racism in a very generic way. We are starting to talk about anti-blackness. And then within all of that, is the whole notion of colorism and the impact. I remember the powerful speech that Lapita gave during a luncheon for Essence magazine and she she recounted, you know, how she felt as being a dark-skinned black woman. I hope that my presence on your screens and in magazines may lead you, young girl, on a similar journey. That you will feel the validation of your external beauty, but also get to the deeper business of being beautiful inside. That there is no shade in that beauty. Thank you. And what it meant for her to be where she is today and understanding the, the, sim, the symbol that she carries a big burden because there are so many other dark-skinned people, particularly dark-skinned right. black people and black women in particular. And I'm not saying that black men don't go through that as well, because they they do, but because of the way that our society uh, reflects or or puts out portrays beauty, it impacts women in a different and and deeper way. But anybody that is darker skinned certainly understands what you and I are uh, talking about, and it really is so superficial. But it goes back to how the Eurocentric worldview of beauty permeates 
everything, the entire world has adopted those standards of beauty. It is one of the reasons why black women, why we relax our hair. It is one of the reasons why we go through generational iterations of what I would call black power consciousness, where there is a resistance to European standards of beauty. And I'm really glad to see that reemerge right now in our time with so many black women reclaiming their natural hair texture. And I'm certainly not one of those that believes if you got to furl you down and if you relax your hair, you're not. What I do affirm though, a lot of the things we do to ourselves as black women, we don't do it in a conscious way. We relax our hair because we were taught before birth that again, that the closer you are to the Eurocentric standard of beauty, for example, having straight hair, this in fact makes you more appealing and more beautiful. And there's just a consciousness that is, uh, that, that's out there percolating that is very powerful, Jennifer. And I hope that it continues and that black women know however you come is fine. But for some, for a society to tell you that the hair that you were born with is not good enough, that's heavy. Yeah. And the messages come up in, in a variety of different formats. It's, oh, your hair is difficult or your hair is, is not manageable. You have to, you have to, um, you have to relax it or there's something wrong with your hair. And when people tell you there's something wrong with any aspect of yourself, what they're saying is there's something wrong with you. And yeah. so the messages that we received about our hair, that we received about, you know, our full lips, that we received about our nose, that we received about our body. I mean, yeah. women are so analyzed. Black women are so analyzed. You, you were telling a story about a play. I remember, and this one that I'm going to share with you, it was from a black teacher. But I remember going to tryouts for the track team. And I was really excited because I wanted to, I wanted to run. And I remember running and I thought, okay, you know, maybe it wasn't the fastest, but that was fun. Yeah. And uh, telling, you know, being really excited and the teacher saying, oh, well, you, you'll never be a runner. Your, your butt is too big. And I was maybe 12. I mean, I was, I was in middle school. And those words stuck with me. Similarly, yeah. I remember wanting to try out for ballet and, and the, the teacher saying something about my body. And what I've done, you know, and, and what I'm mindful of, not only as an active resistance for myself, but I now have a daughter, is I don't comment on my body. You know, so if I feel like I've gained weight, I don't, I don't acknowledge it. If I see a part of my body that I would like change, then I, I speak to that part and I speak lovingly to that part. But my daughter will never hear me loathing my body because I, oh don't, want, I don't want to transfer that to her. And that's regardless of the size that I am. I'm always going to find a way to say something positive until I get to a point where there's genuine and deep appreciation with the hope that regardless of what she hears in the world, she can say, I never heard my mom complain that she was, you know, that she was not the right size. Or I never heard my mom complain that this part of her body was too big or too small. We just didn't, I, I don't want her to hear that. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! 
Drive the Nissan Rogue. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Well, you talk about a love letter. That is, using the word show enough as my grandmother would, that is show enough a beautiful thing and how how blessed she is to have you live that out loud and you you recently went through transformation with your with your hair too definitely yeah yeah definitely you know what you were saying about relaxed hair for years i felt like okay well there's something wrong with my hair and in order to be accepted i need to have my hair i need to have a relaxer well I stopped getting relaxers in 2013, but I still wanted that straight look. And so every week, and if I couldn't go every week, every other week, I went to the stylist. He would flat iron my hair. He would do a curl, you know, put the the, um, the blow dryer in it. And I would have the same effect, hair that was really, really straight. And over time, you know, I would ask myself, okay, why are you doing it? And what does it say about you if you don't do it? With all of this transformation, and as I, as I identify areas in my life that need to change, or as I'm just aware of different thought patterns, I'm trying to deal with myself as gently and as lovingly as possible. So when I've noticed things, I try not to condemn myself, and I try not to make self-condemnation a habit. And so I would just notice these things, and I would be curious about it. And then I just started thinking, you know what? I've thought about um, I've thought about changing my hair for a while. I've thought about going natural, truly natural. And what I decided was that um, I decided to grow dread, to grow locks. And I started growing locks in March of um, of 2020, and I'm going to continue to do so. And part of the thinking for me is, and part of the process is questioning what is beautiful. And, and developing my own standard for what is for what is beautiful, but also distancing myself from the need to be seen as beautiful in the eyes of others if I'm comfortable with myself. Hello, somebody. And that takes a great deal of not only self-reflection, but actual courage because you are resisting in your own way as an individual. And, and then there are others who do it for 
their own reasons too, but it is a resistance to what this country and what the world says the standards of beauty are. And that, I mean, that really takes a lot, Jennifer. And I just commend you so very much. And just the healthy outlook that you have. And that didn't happen overnight. You had to deconstruct your construction and do that every day. And I'm sure you still, even in this transformation, probably still have moments where you have to do the self-talk to remind yourself that you are doing this for yourself, first and foremost. You're doing it for all the right reasons. And you are a symbol not only to your baby girl, but to other black women who constantly question their value and their beauty in this society, their worth, which is tied to a whole lot. And it just reminds, in, in, in the 1940s, you made me think about psychologists uh, Kenneth and Mamie Clark, both Dr. Clarks. You may recall they did, they did an experiment. They conducted an experiment to, to examine the psychological effects that segregation had on black children and it was it was called it's known as the doll test which doll is the black doll and which one is the white doll and they which used doll some dolls i think it was about four dolls and all of the dolls looked exactly alike the only thing that was different about these dolls was the their complexion the the the, the tone uh, on the dolls and all of the subjects i think they examined children who were in the age range from three to seven years old, and they were asked, all of the dolls were set up, and they asked them questions. And why is that doll pretty? Because she's white, and he has two eyes. Which doll is the ugly doll? Why is that doll ugly? Because because he's black. And to, to, to to a child. They picked time and time again that white doll. And why did they do that? I mean, all of the positive characteristics were assigned to the white doll. Because that's it, what they were taught. That's, that's what, what they, were, they taught. were taught. Subliminal. Sometimes, like, I don't feel like parents have to be perfect. Sometimes it's just small steps. And I remember when I was a little girl, my dad would take me and my sister and my brother. He took us toy shopping every two weeks. Every time he got paid, he took us toy shopping and we could get one thing. Uh-huh. And I remember as a girl... Uh, when I would go and get the doll, and sometimes we were drawn to the white doll, my dad would say, why don't you want this one? She's pretty. And he pushed us gently into getting the black doll. And so we had a ton of, of, of black dolls growing up. And when I had my daughter, I said, okay, uh, she, only gets, she only gets dolls who look like her. And yeah. so if, if, you, if you give Jennifer's daughter a doll and the doll does not look like her, we're going to donate that dollar. We're going to give her back. Every day that we live has to be an act of resistance. Jennifer Farmer said that. It's an act of resistance. And yeah. so I remember someone gave someone gave my daughter two dolls and one was white. And my sister just started laughing. And she said, oh, they clearly don't know you. And I said, no, they don't. And yeah. uh, and we, we donated. It was around Christmas and we donated the doll. And that's, you know, that's, that is, uh, I can't control what happens outside of my house. And even inside the house, you can't control everything, but I try to be aware and I'm trying to raise my daughter as intentionally as, as possible. And so her, her dolls look like her. And when she's old enough, then I will, you know, I will explain it. Absolutely. And you are influencing her and she will be an influence on others. And hopefully there will be a ripple effect. Yes. So. <laughs> and and my, my goal for her is to teach her to love herself. 
And yeah. if I want her to love herself, then I have to love myself. So having a daughter has been, it's been a huge growth growth curve because I can't, I can't lead her to where I have not been. And so I say, you know, I want to love myself so that she loves herself, but I want to love myself because I am God's gift, you know, separate apart from her. There it is. It's just amazing. And, you know, it's, it's mainstream societies basically uh, co-opted our culture, our, our, our swag, if you will, although it was never good enough for us. I mean, people are getting lip injections, butt injections, just, you know, and making mega money off of uh, what we naturally have for, for the most part. I mean, none, none of us, we're not homogeneous in our body types either, but there is a cultural type in terms of how, you know, our, our hips and behinds and lips and noses are different from the European and but but now I mean this this thing has been happening where people appropriate have been appropriating our culture and and monetizing it in ways right. where those same black women were told that they were not attractive. So I I applaud you, Jennifer, for all that you are doing, both on a personal Thank level you. and a professional level, to make this world a better place. Which leads me to an idea, something that you wrote. You are a writer. You are a prolific writer. You have a blog. And one of your blogs, Assertive Communication, and I feel like everything that we've been talking about falls into that realm in some way. The way our hair looks, the way we dress, all of that communicates something. The way we respond to situations, it communicates something about ourselves and the society that we live in. And so the title was The Underbelly of Assertive Communications, and you wrote... I learned that sometimes perceptions to communication styles could be genderized and racialized. A white person could say something and would be perceived one way, and I could say the same thing and be perceived an entirely different way. In in writing that blog, to me, you were building, it was a building block to your new book titled First and Only, A Black Woman's Guide to Thriving. Let's go on and live in this space for a minute. <laughs> let's live here. Just let's live here. here. Yeah, let's stay here. Let's <laughs> visit here for a minute. I wrote First and Only, A Black Woman's Guide to Thriving as I was analyzing different professional experiences that I was having. And, you know, when you're interested in something, you read as much as you can in that area. I've always been interested in leadership. I've always been interested in how people become CEOs, how they move up the the ladder. And so I I would read a lot of leadership books. And uh, I would be very fulfilled from these books. And I would go into different work situations or, or work experiences. And I would find that even though I read these books, they could only take me so far. And what I realized is that many of the leadership and the management books that exist today were written by white men, uh, white men over 50, and then they were written by white women. And when, they, when these books were written, they did not speak to the racism that black women experienced or the, gender, the sexism that black women experienced. And so they could only take me so far. They weren't speaking to the ways that I was seeing Black women judge based on our tone, based on uh, our appearance, based on uh, even our bodies and what we wore. 
And so you you take a principle like, you know, it's important to be assertive. That's a principle that you will see in many leadership books. What you won't see is the reaction that, that many Black women get when they are assertive. And assertive is about being able to, to say what works for you and what does not work for you. It's about being able to articulate your needs. It's, a, it's about being able to stand with and for yourself. And I noticed, you know, as someone who would, you know, try to take a stand with and for myself, that depending on the environment that I was in, people would not like that. What they wanted is they wanted the, the docile Jennifer who lived to serve everyone else except for herself. They wanted the person who was willing to sacrifice herself in service of everyone else. They wanted the person who would just say yes, even when it was apparent that she could not do it. And so the underbelly of assertive communication is that while we say we want assertive communication, we have to make space for what that looks like based on a person's race, their gender, and their professional experience. And so in my book, I talk about, you know, uh, assertive communication. I talk about something called the ask penalty. We're all told that a closed mouth won't get fed and that you should ask for what you need. But I have found that as a Black woman, there have been times when I've articulated what I've, need, what I've needed or what I wanted, and people took exception to that. And when I say the ask penalty, I'm not just referring to major things like asking for a raise or asking for a certain amount of vacation time before you take a job. I'm talking about that as well as saying what works for you and what doesn't articulating a vision for your child, you know, what you want for your child. So when I take my daughter to the, the, the doctor, I want to know what you're, I want to know what they're doing. I'm going to ask questions about that. And, you know, I want people to be, to be comfortable with that. And if they're not, then I'm willing to live in that, uh, that discomfort. When I go to church, I don't leave my critical thinking skills at home. I'm always questioning. I'm always wondering. And I want to be able to assert what I need. So when I wrote First and Only, I was speaking to the experience that a lot of Black women have when they show up as the first in a space, when they reach a certain pinnacle of success and they're the only person there, uh, when they're the only person to hold that leader, like what they experience, and then how they overcome. And I would be remiss if I did not tell your audience how grateful I am that you wrote the foreword for the book. And when I tell you the foreword is just beautiful, it moves me to tears. It's just, it's phenomenal. Mm. <laughs> so thank you for that. It's my high honor, Jennifer. You got me tearing up right now. This is a book that we certainly need. It is a love letter to black women and to people who love black women. And That's so right. we want folks to go out and not only purchase your book, but gift it to somebody who needs it, who may need to have Jennifer's voice speak a word of life into them to give them more encouragement to go along this journey uh, called life. Um, Jennifer Farmer, you really are the PR whisperer. You are, you know, people don't understand how skilled, you know, I often say black girl magic is real, but we work like hell to get it. That, that's the part that they, that they don't know. It's real, but we work like hell to get it. You are indeed an author, a lecturer, a leading professional in communication strategy. 
you actually care so deeply and so much. You are a professional. You are a bright light. You are a force of Thank nature. You. And <laughs> the little blur, I just got to, because this touched me so much as I was reading through your book. People must get the book. I want them on the edge of their seats about this book <laughs> and her podcast. I hope that Jennifer gets a chance to do something with this on on TV at some point. I, I put that into the universe because so many <laughs> black women need to hear this message, but other people who love black women need to hear this message. People who just love humanity need to hear this message. But you dedicated this book to your daughter yes. and to your nieces. And this is what you said. And this is it. This is it. This is this is it right here. Hello, somebody. I want everybody to just kind of rest right here with Jennifer and myself. You said these words leap off the pages of your book in your dedication to your daughter and to your nieces. May you go without being asked, speak without seeking permission, and create without fear of failure. Woo! Woo! Now, if that don't light your soul on fire, I don't know what will. Black women go without being asked. Speak without seeking permission and create without fear of failure. Jennifer yes. Farmer. Mm, 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 mm. Yes, I want my daughter. I dedicated the book to my daughter, and I have five beautiful nieces, and I dedicated it to them. And they are all... Uh, they are all in their 20s. I have one who's probably around 18, but the other ones, my other niece, are in their 20s, and they're just starting out in their, you know, careers. And I want them to walk into space and say, we can do this because uh, we don't know our aunt. You know, we saw what our aunt did. And um, my nieces, they were my babies before I had my daughter. They were my baby girls yes. before I had my daughter. And... I have such a love and appreciation for black women and I absolutely adore my nieces and I want them to, um, you know, I want them to say we can because she did and because she did and because she did. Come on. And I want them to, to move forward with that legacy. Move forward that legacy and grace and power and black girl magic. Woo. Jennifer, this has been this has been a word, y'all. Listen, please, <laughs> Jennifer. How how can folks uh, connect with you? Your website, social media. Sure. So you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at pr underscore whisperer, and on Facebook at pr whisperer. So that's how you can find me on social media. For first and only a Black woman's guide to thriving, you can order that from Broadleaf Books, Amazon or any other bookseller, and then, you know, if you are interested in PR and you want to hear about that, you can order that from any bookseller, any book retailer. All kinds of hotness going on. Jennifer Farmer. <laughs> Thank you, you so much. You know how much I adore you, darling. I love I me some Thank Jennifer you. Farmer. I want the world to <laughs> and know. And I love you, too. <laughs> there it is. Hello, Somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. 
visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.